This morning, Pastor Jeff will continue our series in Hebrews. Um, the title of his sermon is called Faith That Overcomes. One of the themes that we keep coming back to in our study of Hebrews is hold fast. Hang on tight. Don't drift from the message which you received long ago. Why does that theme keep coming up? One reason is because of persecution. The recipients of this uh, letter sermon were facing some hard times because they believed in Jesus and followed the way of his disciples. And so they were tempted to go back to the old way, the old Jewish religion. At least uh, there was no persecution then, or there was less persecution. But now they were thinking, I mean, if Jesus really is superior, he's better than the old way, he's God's Messiah, wouldn't you expect a little bit more protection? <laughs> a little more power? Well, maybe not, because God didn't protect his son, the Messiah. Jesus was born in disgrace. His parents and he, when he was very young, were immigrants in Egypt for some years. He grew up in poverty. He was rejected by his own people, including his family. He died in disgrace. He died in agony. So maybe what happened to Jesus is what happens to Jesus' followers. The Apostle Paul said as much when he talked about sharing the fellowship of his sufferings. So as we get into this, the second part of this chapter, chapter 11, we're going to be thinking about how faith carried through the Old Testament believers, when they were persecuted, and that comes as encouragement to the recipients of the letter, the Hebrews, as encouragement, and then to the 21st century, to you and me. Please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Our passage there is on the screen, verses 23 through 40. And as you're turning, will you pray with me? Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds, especially on this issue of faith and perseverance. In Jesus' name, amen. So this topic of persecution is alive and well in many parts of the world. Uh, here's a picture of a worship service in Russia 30-ish, 30, 30, 40 years ago. 
And this was not a special worship service. They weren't out camping or something like that. This is what they did every Sunday because they had to meet in secret out in the woods, even in the dead of winter. Can you see, I think, communion is set up there in the middle of the uh, 30 or so people gathered. And you may say, well, yeah, okay, we know about persecution in the former Soviet Union uh, 30, 40, whatever years ago. Okay, um, what about two months ago? An article in the New York Times in December, the title was Arrests, Beatings, and Secret Prayers Inside the Persecution of India's Christians. And the article described uh, an attack on a church in the city of uh, Indore. It included beating of the pastors. It included assaults on women. It included terrified children. And when the police arrived to try to put order to this chaos, they actually didn't arrest the aggressors. They arrested the pastors. The Christians were charged with breaking a newly enforced law the target's religious conversions. And that law mirrors dozens of other measures taken across the country that have prompted a surge in mob violence against Indian Christians. I'm quoting, there is a growing anti-Christian hysteria that is spreading across this vast nation. What is fueling it The article says, Hindu nationalism. And you may say, well, mm, Lord bless our brothers and sisters in India, but, you know, that's a long way away. I live in the good old United States, Massachusetts. We have a white church in every town center. Well, then a little closer to home, an article with Timothy Keller last uh, uh, December. One of the questions that World Magazine asked him was, do you see the world's culture as becoming increasingly hostile toward Christian values? His answer, absolutely yes. The culture is more hostile to Christianity. Whether we're speaking about the academy, the media, government, business, popular entertainment, the arts, social media, our culture is growing more hostile toward Christian beliefs and values. It's not the same as it always has been. And the interviewer says, well, how do you respond to this? Timothy Keller says, well, (laughs) that requires a week's answer or a single sentence. Let me opt for the sentence. He said, first of all, here's how we respond. First of all, repent for the ways Christians' inconsistent lives have harmed our credibility. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. Third, let people know you're a believer. Don't hide it. Fourth, make sure that you are not harsh or clumsy in your words. Make sure it's the gospel that offends and not you. 
And last, number five, don't be afraid of persecution. Jesus promises to be with you. And so, perhaps the gap between Hebrews 2,000 years ago and what they were experiencing, perhaps the gap is narrowing. It certainly is around the world, but perhaps even uh, here. And so we learned from our passage that when we're tempted to turn back, especially because of persecution, faith carries us through. Faith was the wind in the sails of these Old Testament believers we looked at last week, we're going to look at again today. The author calls all these Old Testament characters to the witness stand to encourage the Hebrews, and by extension to encourage us. Through faith, we can overcome and not depart and stay anchored to Him. Hebrews chapter 10, right before our passage, says, My righteous one will live by faith. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Faith is confidence grounded in unseen realities that causes ordinary people to act in various ways with various results but always with God's commendation. That's a mouthful. That's a long sentence trying to capture the essence of this faith. Let's let's take it apart one phrase at a time. First of all, faith is confidence grounded in unseen realities. Faith, according to chapter 11, verse 1, the first verse of our long passage, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, I'm calling it confidence, of things not seen. And so it is confidence. It's not just a leap in the dark. It's not just blind faith. It's confidence grounded in things we cannot see. Things such as God. We don't see God, and yet there is a confidence. We certainly see evidences of God. We experience God, but, uh, you know, it takes faith. Faith that's grounded in an unseen reality. An unseen reality like creation. Early in the chapter it says, by faith we know that he formed the world and everything. See, we weren't there. And it takes faith. Now, it's a reasonable faith. We see the order in creation and the heavens declare the glory of God, but it's, uh, you know, we weren't there. And yet we have confidence that he is creator. Furthermore, we have confidence that he's continuing his plan of redemption started so long ago at creation, and he's just unfolding it and working it out, and all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to his purposes. It, you know, it takes faith. Confidence in this, we call it 
the plan of redemption. He's alive and well and working. I'll give you one more unseen reality. Heaven. We're not there. We believe it's there. We believe it's coming. We believe we're going to a better place. But, uh, you know, we're not there. And yet we believe confidence in this unseen reality that God is unfolding this master plan of redemption and all of history and creation is moving toward the consummation. And we have confidence. And we live now with confidence in unseen realities. Can I show you this in our passage, this, this faith, this confidence in unseen realities? Let's start at the beginning of our, the passage for today, which is verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Remember the story we went through the opening chapters of uh, Exodus uh, a year ago or so. Remember how when Moses was born, the king, the Pharaoh, had ordered a decree of infanticide, kill all newborn male babies. And so his parents were not afraid of the king's edict. They hid him for three months. They had faith that God was behind this and he was going to protect them, and he was unfolding a plan. And the Bible says they saw that he was a beautiful child. It's an interesting phrase. It means um, not only lovely, but sort of chosen and set apart and a special child. So this is the parent's normal uh, reaction to their baby. Every parent thinks their baby is beautiful. That we, that's good, we understand that. But it's also implied they saw that Moses was the, uh, the chosen vessel behind God's plan to deliver the people. He was no ordinary child. And so they had confidence in what you might call an unseen reality. Then verses 24 and following. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. Confidence, choosing to be mistreated, not clinging to his rights as the adopted daughter, uh, son of Pharaoh's daughter, you know, royalty in the palace and everything. He chose to be mistreated with his people, the Jewish people. Why? Because he had confidence in an unseen reality. He was looking forward, it says, to the reward. How about verse 27? Um, by faith, Moses left Egypt not being afraid of the, king, the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Faith grounded in unseen realities like God. Him who is invisible. And so this, uh, this uh, 
concept of faith carrying through these Old Testament people. It was the wind in their sails that enabled them to resist the king, not be afraid of the king, to endure the persecutions. Okay, how about you and me? You may refuse at work to play ball. Maybe your work is, I don't know, engaged in some shady, some unethical, yeah, not so sure, and you will not go along with it. Now, you're not rude and you're not waving a banner and you're not personally offensive, but you take a stand. And it doesn't go over very well. But you do so because you have confidence in unseen realities like God sees all. He knows what's going on. Or a day of judgment is coming. I want to live now in light of that. An unseen reality. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you feel a lot of pressure to conform. I mean, uh, Christianity may be kind of dismissed or, or, or looked down on, or, and it's very tough uh, in your classroom, but with confidence in unseen realities like God and the plan of redemption and heaven, you remain quietly confident in your classroom and you allow the faith to carry you through. Now this confidence is exerted by ordinary people. They're listed here in Hebrews 11. Uh, we call it the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Fame. You know, Moses and Abraham and all these guys, you know, they're just ordinary people. Can I, can I show you that? Verses uh, 29 and 30. Uh, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Remember those stories? You know, the parting of the Red Sea, Moses leading. By faith, they went through. And then uh, 40 years later, as they're entering the promised land, remember the walls of Jericho, they blew trumpets. And the walls fell down. Okay, here's my point. Those two incidences, separated by 40 years, are the only two incidences in that whole Old Testament account of Exodus of faith. Everything else these people did was complaining and rebelling against Moses and longing they wanted to go back to Egypt. What am I saying? They're just ordinary people. Ups and downs, victories and defeats. Three steps forward, two steps back. Look at the next one, uh, to speaking of ordinary uh, people. Uh, verse 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute, you, you listening? Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab, she's here in the hall of faith, but she was not like a 
perfect person, but she did have faith. And you can too. What's the next one there? Um, verse uh, 32 lists list a whole bunch of them here. What more uh, shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. These are just ordinary people. Do you remember Gideon? The Lord greeted him with, Oh, you great warrior, you deliverer of, of Israel. Where was he when God greeted him that way? He was hiding. He was in a wine press. A wine press was uh, like a hollowed out uh, sort of a c container or a vat in the rock. And they weren't that big. I don't know how he was hiding in there. He kind of squeezed himself down there. Oh, thou valiant warrior. He's just an ordinary guy. He was afraid but he also had faith. How about the next one? Uh, uh, Gideon and then Barak. You can read about him in the book of Judges. He would not obey the Lord. He would not lead the forces of the Lord unless the prophetess named Deborah went with him. I'm not going unless she comes with me because you're with her. He's just, you know, timid. Samson. What about Samson. He disobeyed his parents. He, uh, he rebelled against his parents. He was out of control. He consorted with loose women. But here he is as, a, as an exemplar of faith. What's my point? Confidence displayed and embodied by ordinary people. So if you feel ordinary, you are correct. But you too can exercise faith grounded in unseen realities. And notice that this, this concept, this activity of faith, causes people to act in various ways. All sorts of different ways. We have a whole bunch listed here. Uh, verses uh, 35 and following. Women, there's, there's, there's ten verbs here crammed into a couple of verses. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So we see here that faith is active. It's not just a mental state. Sort of like when we say a creed together or maybe our litany before the sermon. You know, I affirm this and I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. There is a mental component. There's a, a content component. But faith, biblical faith is more than that, isn't it? It's more than just a mental state. It's certainly not magic. I'm talking about like the health and wealth gospel. Name it and claim it. Say these magic words, you know, abracadabra, and God will, uh, he'll, he's obligated to do something. Faith is 
it causes us to act in various ways. You might think of it with an analogy. Well, before the analogy, Martin Luther was the great uh, champion of faith, justification by faith rather than by works. But you know how Luther defined faith? He said it has a knowledge component. Saving faith faith is built on knowledge. You have to know something about Jesus and what he claimed and his promises. But that's not full-orbed faith, just knowing stuff. He said you also had to have agreement or assent. You had to agree with, this, with these facts, agree with this knowledge. But you know what? That's not full-orbed faith yet. So far, all we have is the faith of demons. You with me? They have knowledge, probably more than you and I do. They agree with it in the sense that they fear and tremble, but they're not, uh, they're not Christians. They're not following God. No, the t- what's the top level? True living faith, fides viva, is it demands commitment. It demands action. This is what James said. This is what Jesus said. It is a full person activity. In my, uh, in my definition of faith, I'm saying it causes ordinary people to act based on unseen realities. You might think of it with an analogy of flying. In order to fly, it's uh, helpful to know some things. It's a note that planes actually, even though they're very heavy, uh, can fly you know, uh, heavier than, than air flight is possible. Maybe you know somebody who's done it. It might even be helpful to understand some of the physics behind it. You know how the, wind, the air goes, uh, has to travel further over the top of the wing, thus decreasing the air pressure, and so there's lift underneath. And you've got to know these kinds of things, and you have to agree with it. Like, okay, well, I guess, yeah, I guess it really does work. But in order to actually fly, you have to get on the airplane. You have to respond to your knowledge and your agreement with that knowledge. And that's what we see here in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. So may I ask you, what act of faith might God be calling you to? Maybe taking a stand. for righteousness and justice and mercy. Maybe he's calling you to full-time Christian work. If you feel a stirring as we're going through this passage, it's all about faith and these great people. If you feel a stirring, this could be the Holy Spirit directing you, guiding you into all truth, But just remember that faith is more than a mental state. It includes action. And now this this action has various results, right? We've read these results. Some received the dead back to life and they shut the mouths of lions and they escaped the edge of the sword. And wow, you know. uh, But then it also says some were killed by the sword. And some were tortured. The word there in verse uh, 35, uh, we might translate it literally as tympanized. 
timpanize. It means to strike with, with a, an instrument, to be beaten with an instrument. What English word do we get from the Greek word for timpanize? It's an instrument in the orchestra. The timpani, big kettle drums, boom, boom. And by faith, some of these people were beaten with an instrument. They were sawn in two. Tradition says that's what happened to Isaiah. They wandered about in deserts and dens clothed in skins of animals. So various results. First Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. So you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So maybe you won't play ball at work. I don't think we can state on the authority of God's word, I don't think we can state a guaranteed outcome. Health and wealth or whatever. So um, you remain in your classroom, you remain quietly confident. I don't think we can state with authority a guaranteed outcome. At least Hebrews 11 says various outcomes, various results. And yet, they did not turn back. They did not drift. They held fast by faith. And then finally, you know, there is actually one outcome that we can promise. God's commendation. Always, always well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. This idea of commendation actually sort of bookends chapters 11. The technical word is an inclusio. It begins that way and it ends that way. Chapter 11, verse 2 says, By faith the people of old received their commendation. And then verse 39, right toward the end of our passage, all of these, all of these people, Moses and all these guys, all of these, though commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. That was coming later the full expression of God's commendation. And so Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So faith 
is confidence grounded in unseen realities that leads ordinary people to do various things, various actions, with all kinds of different results, but always with God's well done. Okay, let's conclude uh, with a thought experiment, okay? I'll give you a moment to ponder. Okay, how would you live, how would I live, if we were confident that God exists, that he loves you completely, that he has a redemptive plan that he is working through your life, and that you are headed to a rewarding, secure, happy destination. If you believe that deep in your bones, how how would you live? You might approach this sort of from the opposite direction, and we might say, well, how would you live if you were not confident in those things? We might kind of hedge our bets. We might live like this world was the sum total of reality. For your consideration. May God help us exercise faith. Faith is confidence grounded in unseen realities that prompts various actions by ordinary people, produces various results, but always the commendation of God. Heavenly Father, help us to live by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.